Hey, greetings, everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Folks, Lieutenant Carl Allen West here at Watchtower Firearms. This is the uh, custom design uh, AR-15 that was just made for me. It's got my Steadfast and Loyal logo there. On this side, you can see my signature, my Master Parachutist wings, of course, American flag. And I just want to tell you that you can't be a great American unless you have a great American weapon. And that's exactly what Watchtower Firearms is building. Great American weapons all American parts manufactured right here in the great state of Texas. And oh, by the way, the, uh, let me see, where is the serial number on this one? TX 1836. If you're from Texas, I think you know what that means. God bless you. God bless Washtow. Hey, Dirt Center. Yes. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You know, there's a lot going on here in the state of Texas. And I think one of the things we have to really maintain vigilance on is the onerous intrusion of federal government agencies like the ATF when it comes to our Second Amendment and our gun rights. We know that we have some issues with the bump stock. We have some issues also with the pistol brace and uh, other things. And we just recently saw what happened out in New Mexico with Governor Grisham. So I thought we'd have a good conversation with someone that is right at the tip of the spear when it comes to fighting for our Second Amendment rights here in the state of Texas, and that is Wes Verdell. Beginning in July of 2022, West Verdell was named the Texas State Director for Gun Owners of America, and I'm a life member of GOA. West has been a gun rights activist for over a decade and has seen the effectiveness of GOA and other gun organizations being made. He is also a veteran of the United States Air Force, a competitive shooter, an avid outdoorsman, and he is recently announced that he is going to be running for Texas State House. Wes Verdell, welcome to the Steadfast and Law program. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, so you have been in the position there with GOA. First and foremost, can you kind of give folks an understanding of GOA, their mission, and what delineates them from, you know, I used to be on the board of the NRA. I stepped down from that about three years ago. What delineates them from the National Rifle Association? Yeah, we were founded in 1976. Uh, probably the key difference between us is we're very aggressive. We're not, no compromise. Uh, we, we are actually known as a no compromise gun organization. Yes. And so for the last 40 years, we've had a, a ton of almost 40 years. We've had a ton of really good victories on the Supreme Court level. Uh, we've gotten very active in suing states when they're violating the Second Amendment. And one thing that kind of sets, apart, sets us apart from a lot of different gun groups is 
instead of kind of sucking up or I say uh, catering to uh, legislators, basically we have been very aggressive on, Hey, if you campaign a second amendment and, uh, and you don't support second amendment, we're going to call you out to your constituents. So that's been our biggest thing is, is legislators don't ever want to be labeled as anti two a. And so they're willing to work with us. They're willing to, uh, to let us talk about bills. And uh, thankfully we are thankful for the legislators. Like they helped pass the uh, constitutional carry in 2021 in Texas. Yes, That was a GOA bill. So we were, that was our biggest win in Texas so far. And we've been very active in state, state legislatures since about 2018. Well, let's talk about the recent lawsuit that you brought forward that uh, has been successful. And that was, this was about the, uh, the pistol brace where, yes, you know, GOA members now have the protection uh, based upon the lawsuit you brought about against the ATF. Kind of give us an understanding about that. Yep. So that uh, that really has to do with initially any any right or say any rifle, any AR-15 that has a barrel less than 16 inches would falls into two categories. It's either going to be a pistol or, or it's going to be a short barreled rifle, depending on the stock that's on that. Uh, in this situation, the ATF had released a uh, letter, a clarification letter stating uh, that pistol brace is OK. This, this is back a couple of years back saying Pistol brace yeah. is okay. It's not a not an issue to have one. And then they made another clarification letter that said it's okay to shoulder that pistol brace also. So, uh, so ended up with forty million AR-15 pistols being out there among the the general public and in America. And then Biden gets in office, and of course he does what what crazy Democrats do, and he weaponizes the ATF against us again, and they classify all of these pistol braces as short-barreled rifles. So now potentially you had 40 million people that were going to be faced with possible felonies if they say kept possession possession of this. Yeah. And so in this situation, uh, we worked closely with Ken Paxton's office. We co-filed a lawsuit. Uh, their lawyers and our lawyers got together, worked on the language on it. And on May 31st, we we, we filed it. May 31st, we were grant, granted a preliminary injunction. And that preliminary, preliminary injunction and uh, was was great in the way it was worded. So all GOA members across the United States uh, are protected currently from the ATF coming after them while we fight through the court. So if you have a pistol brace fan or pistol brace, and you're a member of uh, Gun Owners of America, or you're an employee of the state of Texas, which is what who Ken Paxton represented, then you're protected currently as it goes through the court system. You know what is so strange for me is you know you have out people out there. This is a a rifle. Uh, this is a short barrel rifle. This is a pistol. But the bottom line is it doesn't do anything to the caliber. It's still the exact same projectile yep. that is coming out. So how do we conduct a fight to, to take? And of course, you know, there's the assault weapon thing, which, you know, the tomahawk that I have here or the pencil that I have, that, that could be used as an assault weapon, anything used to an assault a person. How can we do better in fighting the left uh, with the language that they're out there using? Yeah, uh, the biggest thing is is just exposing the truth, showing the facts. The, the problem is the left doesn't care about facts. They're all about the emotion, so they try to scare you. You know, your your tomahawk there is black, which makes it scarier, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it really, if it were, oh, now, now, that's racist. I mean, you say because it's black, <laughs> it's scarier. I mean, come, nah, just messing with you. You said it. <laughs> the, uh, now, the uh, you know, they, they try to play on the emotions. That they try yeah. to take... Uh, you know, an example that we had in the state legislature this session was the Allen, Texas shooting happened. Uh, yes. Terrible situation. Uh, the shooter was 33, I believe he was 33 years old. 
that very Monday, they uh, tried to pass a bill out of committee. They did they did get it passed out of committee. We tried to get to the Capitol before they could take the vote on it. Luckily, it got killed further down the line. But but they tried to pass a bill to raise the age to 21 to purchase semi- to a semi-automatic firearm. The shooter was 33, but they used that situation to justify taking the rights away from 18, 19, and 20-year-olds. Uh, yeah. You know, and thankfully, the courts had already ruled previously to this in Texas. Judge Mark Pittman out of the North Texas court uh, ended up ruling that 18, 19, and 20-year-olds deserve the same rights as 21 and up. They're, they're constitutionally protected. And mm-hmm. so we, we did the numbers on that, and I think there's roughly 20 million uh, young adults, 18, 19, and 20 in America. And there's about 2 million of those in Texas. And so if you look at those numbers, basically there's groups of people that say, we want to take the rights away from 20 million young adults here, here in the yeah. country. And so we 100% fight against that. We, we think all rights are inalienable and, uh, and we want to protect them. And, and unfortunately they're using crazy, crazy things that don't even apply to justify them trying to take away your rights. And we look at countries that, uh, are in complete disarray because they don't have the second amendment. And thank God we have that second amendment right now. Well, I mean, we're looking at that in Israel right now where you only have about two to 3% of people in the population out there that are law abiding citizens that, you know, are, have firearms and look at what had happened there. The terrorists come in. And the other thing is so interesting because you served in the air force. I served in the, in the army. I wasn't smart enough to be in the air force, but (laughs) 18, 19 and 20 year olds, they get, an AR-15, but we call it an M4. And, yeah. and it can go fully on automatic. So mm-hmm. how can you look at a young person that's enlisting in our military that we're going to give this firearm to, but yet tell them, you can't go out and purchase the firearm to protect yourself? That, to me, it makes no sense yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, to, to even go with that is, you know, I worked on intercontinental ballistic missiles, and we had 18, 19-year-old guys there working on one of the most deadliest weapon systems we yeah. have in the world. Uh, you know, I mean, they're obviously competent, competent enough to do that, but leftists want to to tell you that they're not, so that that we should take them away. You either are an adult when you turn eighteen, or you're not. We we live in a society where they keep trying to change or move the goalposts, and uh, yeah. if we keep going at this rate, before we know it, they're going to be thirty five before they consider them an adult, which is going to be insane. You know, it, it, it's so funny. They think the sixteen year olds can go out there and vote, but the eighteen, nineteen, yeah. twenty year old can't purchase a firearm to protect themselves. It's, it's the hypocrisy yeah. is laughable. What was the concern of GOA, Gun Owners of America, when you saw what Governor Grisham tried to do over in New Mexico? That is one of the most egregious things that, that we've seen happen in recent years. And uh, luckily, GOA jumped on that really quickly. Uh, but the idea that she somehow thought she had the tyrannical power to take away people's rights to open or concealed carry in that state. And then she backpedaled and tried to make it just into certain criteria uh, you know, it's, it's kind of died down now. I'm not sure where it's at. I got to go back and research where it's at today on it. But I know that we had, I think we had filed a lawsuit against the governor on that. Uh, I hope the people of New Mexico realize they have a tyrant in position of leadership and they need to remove that tyrant, tyrant as fast as possible. When you look at the state of Texas as the state director of GOA from a, a down to F, how would you rate the state of Texas and what they do as far as protecting our Second Amendment rights here? I would give it a B right now. It used to be worse. We used to. Interesting. We used to be, I would probably put us in the D category. You know, we did have a license to carry. Uh, Susanna Hupp had worked back in 95 uh, to, you know, and her parents were, were killed in the Luby shooting. She was there. Yes. I remember. Uh, 
But the thing about it, it took from 1836 to 1995 just to get to where they allowed some people to carry uh, a pistol to defend themselves in those situations. And then it took us another 20 years before we got open carry passed. We were one of only six states in the country that didn't allow some form of open carry. And uh, that's that's what it got me going to the Capitol was back around 2011 was the the fight for open carry started really kind of becoming public that, hey, why aren't we allowed to do this? We could carry a rifle uh, without a problem, but we couldn't carry our pistol openly. And uh, thankfully, a lot of activists showed up. 2015, we got that passed. And then uh, then like the uh, the real kind of battle started, which is let's get to constitutional carry. And so mm-hmm. uh, just grew more in activism, people coming. And one of the things we found interesting uh, over and over, and we talked about Democrat chairs killing our stuff. We had to deal with that through that process often. But we also had to deal with uh, some of the police unions, which police unions do some really great things for law enforcement in, in certain parts of what they're dealing with. But they uh, many of them kept coming year after year testifying against their bills and they kept always testifying using the same statement it's going to be blood in the streets the wild west uh uh you know everybody's just going to be killing each other and we knew statistically that that wasn't going to happen because the states that had some form of open carry didn't have those numbers to to go along with that and then i found this interesting we passed the open carry bill and then 2017 the same guys show up again and they start saying the same thing about constitutional carry what was nice was one of the committee members actually said uh, hey, you said before we passed open carry is going to be blood in the streets in the Wild West, and none of that happened. Why do you believe that's going to be the case now? And he ended up shutting them down pretty quickly on it. So yeah. um, it's a lot, a lot of fear-based. You know, if, if we let – so Texas, I look at it this way. People who are put in leadership positions and act with fear and make decisions on fear are terrible leaders. Texas is supposed to be leading with the implementation. We do not have fear. We're going to do the right thing regardless, and we're going to stand up. That's where we should be at. We're trying to get a lot of uh, kind of more minutia, I guess you would say, uh, bills, kind of refine some stuff that, that we're going to pass hopefully next time. But I would give us a B, maybe a B plus, but we need to get to that A category. So we've got some bills to work on that that will get us there. And the good news is, is there's some legislators that have uh, shown some promise in helping us with that. We're going to lose Matt Schaefer this year. Uh, Matt yeah, Schaefer was a, yeah, he was a great legislator. He carried our constitutional carry bill. And he carried our bill for uh, uh, HB 2837 this year, which is, which was to stop credit card companies from tracking our firearm purchases. So that is yeah. a very good bill. We're thankful for that. Uh, hopefully somebody, and like I said, I'm running for office, so hopefully I get to be the guy that steps up and carries those bills. But we, we hope somebody will step up and carry some really good bills for us next time. Well, excellent transition because you have declared yourself as a candidate for Texas State House. Tell us about the district and tell us, is this an open seat or you're going to be running in a primary against uh, an incumbent? Yep. So I'm running against an incumbent. Uh, the, the district includes 16 counties. It's the biggest or second biggest district in the in the state right now. It's about 340 miles long and it includes Fort Stockton, Sonora, Ozona, Rankin, Crane, McCamey, uh let's drop down into tech uh, brady lano mason kerrville bandera hondo castroville uh rock springs and some others so there's there's a lot of towns in there and so what's gonna be got, you've got so you've got some west texas and a little bit of hill country coming back over correct yes sir yeah it's a it's a wide wide variety of landscape and and uh industries throughout that those throughout the district how close is your district to the border? We are, I think, probably 50 miles, maybe maybe 80 miles from the border. I think it's the closest we get to it. So. 
So, yep. but, but within a doubt, you're in what I call a border control zone, an operational control zone. So you yep. definitely get the second and the third order effects that are coming off of that border. So, you, you know, the governor just called for a third special session. Uh, how do you feel about what's going on with our Texas State House right now? Obviously, you're not happy with it. And I'd like to know the, uh, the incumbent that you're running against, did he, did he or she, did they vote uh, for this impeachment of the attorney general? Uh, it's even worse than voting for the impeachment. They were the leader of the impeachment. They led the House impeachment team. And uh, and that's my, my opponent's Andrew Murr. And uh, he, uh, you know, I'm thankful. I hate that Ken Paxton had to go through this, but I'm thankful that a lot of truth is being seen by Texans right now on how the House is working. Um, you know, it's the district is uh, like we talk about being a border district. We have a lot of ranchers that have immigrants coming across, even down south below our below our district. Uh, ranchers down there can't do anything about the immigrants coming across right now. They've been told that if they try to uh, uh, detain the immigrants as they come across their property or defend their property, that they'll be charged with kidnapping and, and other things if they call, if, if they detain the immigrants. So let, let, repeat that for the audience. Here are legal law abiding citizens of the United States of America, ranch owners here in Texas. that are being told if people come onto their property illegally, they're going to be charged with a crime. Yeah, they'll they'll uh, if they try to detain somebody that has come onto their property uh, illegally, they have been told by Border Patrol that they will be charged with kidnapping. So it's absolute insanity what what are uh, some of our federal agencies are are telling these people. And you know, if you own property, so one of the things we see is kids aren't allowed to roam free on these ranches anymore. Like I grew up no. in the country and. Uh, and you, you can't dare let your kids go out by themselves on the property now because you have no idea if they're going to be kidnapped, killed. Uh, who knows? I don't even want to get into all the stuff that could happen. But uh, that's, that's not freedom when you don't have uh, that, that ability to, to run around you know, without worry of that stuff. And, and we know danger is going to happen. But you should be able to run around on your ranch and not have concern that, that you're going to encounter cartel members or anything like that. Uh, to my opponent. I ran against him one time before we did really well, but uh, we tried to call out his voting record and, and that his wife and them had bought a house outside of the district and homesteaded it. Uh, anyways, this time his voting record got far worse and then he led the Paxton impeachment. So uh, he is front and center on his voting record right now and he can't run and hide from it like before. We watch a lot of politicians campaign and push out mailers. When you send mailers out, you can put anything you want on it. Nobody's yes. going to question it. Uh, he's not going to be able to get away with that this time. Like people are really going to be be questioning his actions. And and uh, one of the problems we've had is he doesn't engage with constituents. You as a representative should be that voice that they can go to and talk to and know that you're going to be in the House representing them. And uh, unfortunately, we don't have that right now. And and that's how it just should not be that way. And of course, he is one of the leading captains or lieutenants for the Speaker of the House, uh, Dave Phelan. And you're right. Uh, he was the top person that brought together this special investigation committee that was really hidden from the public. And the next thing you know, we have these charges on the attorney general. Uh, and so I applaud you for stepping up and saying this is not what we want here in the state of Texas, especially from what is supposed to be a Republican majority. Tell us what would be your top three issues uh, as a member of the Texas State House. Top three issues. First one I'm going to go with is water rights. We have a massive water issue across the district, and it's it's starting to spread into other districts, too. And that has to do with that 
we live in a, a area where we're kind of treated like the stepchildren, uh, I guess you would say, in the rural communities. And so the cities uh, get a lot of a lot of preferential treatment and they've come in and bought properties within our district, got the water rights, and then they ship it back to the cities. So now we're dealing with already in a drought, hurting. Water is going to be a huge issue for us. And we want I want to make sure that we have a representative that's fighting for the people in our district to make sure our water is not being uh, taken from us. Uh, you know, they say the next big war is going to be over water uh, and it mm-hmm. feels like it's coming up soon. Border, uh, extremely important to me. Back in 2020, when Trump was building the wall, I actually uh, was in the trucking industry and I actually went and picked up nine pieces of the wall from around Corpus Christi, Ingleside, Texas, and hauled it to a port just south of Tucson, Arizona. Uh, and I can tell you then it was pretty interesting that what was interesting too was the people that were building that wall. Uh, we had some Americans there, but a lot of people were coming from Mexico every day and helping build build that wall, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, sometime I'll show you pictures of what the border looked like before that wall was going up. And literally it was just some four, four inch square tubing on a couple of, on some crosses that would hold it up. So literally just talking about, talking about a pipe that was running, running down the, uh, running down the borderline. You could, I mean, literally jump over it like it's a, a low fence. And then it's pretty crazy to think that that was our border. So, uh, border patrol, you know, we, we need to make sure that, that we're, helping them. But the problem we have is we have the federal government telling them not to not to secure the border, which is is crazy, too. Uh, for me, the biggest priority on the third one, I would say, is going to be the firearms. That's a passion of mine. And I want to make sure that we protect it. We had a bill that that died this session. So Briscoe Kane had filed a bill to uh, stop red flag laws from ever being implemented in Texas. Would have been a, a great bill for us. And we had two Republicans on the committee uh, intentionally not show up to the vote for the bill so that the Democrats would have a majority in the committee and kill the bill. Uh, we're going to be hammering those those Republicans in their district for their primary coming up and let people know what they did. But uh, there's there's issues like that that need to be there. And, you know, the other thing, which is number four, I know you asked for three, but uh, the other thing that is is we watch the Democrats kill our bills all the time on points of orders. Yes. And it takes 10, 10 legislators to challenge that point of order. We didn't get that. Uh, you know, the border bill, the HB 20 bill, that, that died on a point of order by a Democrat. And it was accepted by the Speaker of the House. Not to mention, or also to mention that the parliamentarian that Dave Phelan hired is an Obama attorney. The head parliamentarian in there is an Obama attorney. That is uh, so. So it, <laughs> here we are in supposedly the state of Texas, a red state with a majority of Republicans in the Texas State House. I think it's eighty-three to sixty-seven, but yet re- Democrats. First of all, it was sixty-one to sixty Democrats who voted to impeach Ken Paxton, yep. but Democrats are using points of order to kill legislation such as border control legislation. And we have a parliamentarian in a Republican majority Texas State House that was an Obama lawyer. Yes, sir. That's my understanding of that. And uh, everything I've seen looks to be correct on it. And then we have where we need 10 Republicans to step up and challenge it. I think we had six that day step up to challenge that. Like one of my goals is to make sure that we have legislators ready to go to challenge every point of order that the Democrats are going to make, because we should not be getting our butts whipped by the Democrats right now. We need to be the guys yeah. that are controlling the House. And that goes back to fear. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, who are you going to vote for for Speaker? And it's definitely not going to be Dave Phelan. Uh, but this goes back, I think you'll appreciate this. There were three guys that refused to sign the Constitution at the Philadelphia Convention, one of them being George Mason. And those three guys, even though they are in a minority position, they were willing to stand up, that can, what would be considered unpopular, 
Uh, and so they stood up, they challenged uh, the leadership. It ended up causing the Federalist versus Anti-Federalist debate that went on. And those three guys in the minority forced a conversation that led to us having a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. Yes. They were trying to argue that we didn't need it, that the states had their own Bill of Rights. Uh, thank God that people who weren't afraid to lead off of actual leadership were willing to stand up. And that's what we needed in the House, because I watch a lot of legislators that have gotten elected over the years. They go there and they're afraid that if they don't uh, support the speaker or the leadership, that they're going to be ineffective. And those guys who make those votes with fear in their hearts become the most ineffective guys in the House. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wrote a piece for a town hall said the tenacious versus the timid. Because Democrats, you know, when they're in the majority, they're tyrannical. But even in the minority, they're tenacious, as you just articulated. And we are always timid. And I just don't get it, especially here in the state of Texas. Last question I want to ask you, when you look at what is happening over in Israel right now, where Hamas terrorists were able to infiltrate that country and go in and kill innocent civilians, do you have that same concern with what you see happening with our border where we're allowing millions of single military-aged males to come in? Some of them we know, others we don't know. But is that a danger, you think, for your constituents One, down there? 100%. Uh, absolutely. Like, it makes my blood boil seeing the videos that are coming out of what's yeah. happening to the women over there. I know you're probably built the same way where it just— like the first thing you want to do is go over there and try to help take care of, of the bad guys. Yeah, take my uh, tomahawk. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember saying this. I've, I've watched you say something one time that's really stuck with me, and it's principle over personality. That's what we need yes. to be be sending into uh, to that legislature. We need people that are willing to fight for us, that are willing to tell the truth, even if it's unpopular. But that's where we need to be at. We cannot send these weak spine guys back into the legislature because, like I said, when they leave with fear. They screw every one of us over. You're absolutely right. And, and I will tell you that uh, my state representative, Angie Chen Button, is another one of them that uh, she needs to go home. So, yes, Wes Verdell, uh, how can people follow you as state director of Gun Owners of America here in Texas? And how can people follow your campaign for Texas State House? Yes, sir. So, if we're on the gun owner side, you can go to goatexas.com, uh, sign up for our emails or join. We are member funded. and. And that's how we uh, that's how we get things done is is through our members. They're they're the ones that help fund us to be at the Capitol fighting for them and to, to be a lot of other places too fighting for them. For the campaign, it's verdellfortexas.com. That's V as in Victor, I R R D as in Delta, E L L F O R Texas T E X A S. Uh, for military guys, Victor India Romeo Delta Echo Lima Lima for Texas.com. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, look, I wish you all the success because I really believe that the GOP primaries next March here in Texas are going to be quite revealing because we have to have people in the Texas State House, Texas State Senate, down in Austin that will fight for our principles and values and protect the citizens here in Texas. And I want to applaud you for stepping up to the uh, to the plate to do exactly that. Wes Verdell, thank you so much for joining thank us here on the Steadfast and Law program. Appreciate it. We'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal program. Very big special thanks to Wes Verdell for taking time off the campaign trail, as we have come to know, to be with us to talk about the Second Amendment, the Gun Owners of America organization, and also his run for Texas State House. If you like this program, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. 
before they burn it down. 